Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Welcome back to Making Data Simple. This is a nonstop endeavor that we're on. The amount of data increases, we keep it simple. Not easy, but simple. I planned to get 1% smarter today. Well, every day. But today I'm going to do that with a guest that I have by the name of Rob Tilson. He is an AI thought leader and vice president of worldwide sales at BrainShip. What he does is develop an artificial intelligence that learns like a brain, prioritizing efficiency, ultra low power consumption, continuous learning. I think, and I'll get with him in a second, he's going to clear us up. I think we're talking neural networks here. I believe this to be a neural processor that solves AI's issues like high cost, limited performance, limited scalability. At the edge, to my knowledge, we'll talk more about that. Here's what I know about BrainShip. BrainShip is publicly traded on the Australian Stock Exchange, was named among the EE Times Silicon 100 list, which is pretty awesome. And within a year, the market cap grew from just below 200 million to greater than 1 billion, and they predict it to be worth 60 billion by 2025. So I welcome Rob, the new Elon Musk, to the podcast today. He's going to be a rich man. Rob, welcome. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great, Al. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> I just got to say one thing real quickly for the listeners out there, you know, yes, our market cap has increased dramatically. The comment about the 60 billion, that's actually the TAM of the discussion of today. So the total addressable market of what we'll talk about when it comes to edge AI. But uh, I didn't want anyone to get overly excited there. And I appreciate the, uh, the reference to Elon Musk, a great guy with some really cool vehicles and some cool spaceships and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, we'll get into it with AI. I appreciate it. Very good. Very good. Thank you for that clarification. Let me give you the floor again to start. Please uh, give us uh, an introduction about yourself, your experience, what your trials and tribulations have been through in terms of getting to uh, BrainShip. Thank you. Uh, just for the listeners, uh, I've been a sales guy all of my life and have had the opportunity to work in very, very large organizations in some very senior roles and also in very small organizations where you put on and wear a lot of different hats and uh, I've seen those companies, all of them that I've been with, succeed and achieve greatness, basically. As I'm at this point in my life, BrainChip as an opportunity came to me um, a little over a year and a half ago. And I decided to take another uh, swing at joining a young company that has a ton of potential, ton of opportunity, and a phenomenal technology. And my spirit in regards to what I just said hasn't changed one bit. As a matter of fact, it has been a great ride, a great run, and it's very exciting. So my role at BrainChip is, as I've worn many hats, built the sales organization. We're building a support infrastructure as we've just gone to commercialization. Also continuing to grow our ability to um, engage with more customers and a variety of different areas within the, the, the space of AI. How new is BrainChip? You know, we were founded in 2013, and um, we actually went public uh, 
in the Australian markets or the 2015 timeframe. We are actually publicly traded in the U.S. as well on the OTC under two uh, ticker symbols, BRCHF and BCHPY, our holding stock. We're continuing to evolve as we make an impact in what we call the edge uh, of AI. When we think of the edge, our mindset in regards to the edge is our devices that really focus on a power envelope. And that power envelope means you really, you want to be unplugged. You want to run on battery um, in most cases. And so that's anywhere from uh, what we call IOT devices, which are wearables such as watches, all the way through vehicles. You know, nice. battery-operated vehicles and, and moving in that area as well. Where are you located, by the way? Um, I'm based in Southern California. That's where our North America headquarters is in Laguna Hills, right next to Laguna Beach. We also have uh, locations in Toulouse, France, in uh, Perth, Western Australia, and also in India. You talk about a technology that essentially mimics the brain, which to me is neural networks and you focus on the edge. So tell me a bit more about that technology. Why the edge? Or why don't you target like mainstream or, you know, outside of the edge, even though, don't get me wrong, edge is mainstream. And I think that's where the, the, the world's going. It's smart. We've had a couple of folks on the podcast that are specifically targeting the edge. And if you're doing it with that kind of uh, low carbon consumption, then you can do it probably anywhere. But tell me about your business model, why the edge, how the science works. Yeah, you know, Al, this is, I'm glad you brought this up. To us, we've hit a really phenomenal sweet spot from BrainChip's perspective. But basically what we've done is we've developed a, an AI accelerator, uh, this processor that, yeah, the, the architecture is designed to mimic the way our brain functions. And that's, it's based off of what's called a neuromorphic architecture. So most AI engines or accelerators today are based off the deep learning architecture and or DLA. And basically the way that it works in traditional AI is that it's processing information constantly. And because it's processing information constantly, it isn't able to determine what is good information or bad information, processes all the information at one time. When it processes all the information at one time, what do you think it's doing? It's consuming a ton of energy, it's consuming a ton of power and its performance degrades because it's just running it. It's like your engine running at full speed, right? All the time. And when you think of AI in data centers or in the cloud, it can do that. It can be big, beefy, and just keep running. So the way we're architected though, leveraging neuromorphic principles is that we're architected to function like our human brain. And I use this a lot in a lot of podcasts, but I like to think of it in two separate ways. One is your brain right now is functioning. You're looking at your monitor. Your hands are touching something, which means you have some feeling going on. So you're using your vision. You're using your senses such as feeling. I'm sure someone's making a phenomenal meal in the background. So you can smell something being cooked. So you're using that sense as well. But what you're really doing is listening to me. Most of your energy right now is being consumed by listening to every word I'm saying. And that's how the brain functions. Okay. So it's able to focus and put its energy in an area where it needs to, but it can do multiple functions at the same time. And that's the way our processor was architected. The other way I like to talk about it is zeros and ones. 
zero times zero is zero. And we'll call that a non-event. Or zero times a million is zero. So most DLAs have to process all the zeros before they can get to the ones. And the way that BrainChip's processor Akita is architected is that it doesn't have to process the zeros. It doesn't focus on non-events because it's structured like a human brain, which means we're only focused on the events. And then we break down the events that are, we need to focus on at a period of time. And that's why we're extremely efficient and extremely low power. And when we talk about low power, I want to emphasize something. We're processing in microwatts to milliwatts. Um, I want to put that into perspective. The human brain processes in tens of watts, and your traditional DLA is going to process in tens to hundreds of watts. So magnitude difference in regards to power consumption. And that's why um, there's a lot of excitement in regards to what we've developed and what we're doing. So I got many questions on that. This is not your first rodeo, I can tell. <laughs> but, um, we try to keep it simple. I do have a technical audience. To keep it simple, could you talk about the difference between, or, or just to outline neural networks, uh, what, what it means to, to mimic the brain? So basically the way that I've looked at it is, uh, you know, and if we, we were putting up slides, we actually have some slides that demonstrate this really well. So I'm kind of staring up at the wall, trying to envision in my head on how best to communicate it to you. But the way the neural networks are set up is that they have to have all these touch points that they go through and they have to process through all of that. The way that we're structured is we break all that down. So you don't, again, you don't have to go through all that clutter to get to the, the information you're trying to process. What makes us unique is that for those that are technical out there, is that you know we can address both convolutional neural networks and spiking neural networks. And we do that all in our own software development environment uh, called MetaTF that, that anyone can go take a look at and start using today at brainchip.com slash developer. And you can start working in our environment and start creating your own you know, AI scenarios and test out the simulations and so on. And a lot of people do that, and then they record what they've done and send it to us. So we welcome anyone out there that's really curious about this to go do that. You can also go to our YouTube channel at BrainChip Inc. Inc. And you can see all these videos that have been posted by users, as well as all of our media and our content. Any algorithm you want to go work on, you, you could work on this, the, the hardware technology? I'm trying to figure out if there's a specific set of algorithms that work better uh, on the edge. I mean, that, that's what we're talking about here. Do you have certain use cases that you say, here's the use cases we target. This is where our hardware does best. That's actually a phenomenal question. It's the right question. At the end of the day, we pride ourselves by focusing on the five sensor modalities. Going back to the description I gave you before as you were standing there and your touch and so on. That to us is vision, voice, vibration, smell, and taste. So we've actually used um, our chip Akita to differentiate between different wines and tell you what type of wine it can recognize. We're also doing it with, uh, you know, shouldn't say this on the podcast, but we're doing it with beer. So we'll be able to tell you a difference between a pale ale, a stout, and, and other beers as well. Um, sounds kind of silly, but in a real world environment, you would use that for, let's say, water clarity. 
You know, you'd use it to recognize different gases and different compounds. We're going through all these exercises. The two main ones of today that are most prevalent in the world of AI at the edge are vision. So that's really checking out objects or people or something to that extent. And then voice, recognizing voices and getting instructions from voice like you would use on your phone, on your personal assistant, on your phone or on a home assistant like an Alexa or a, a Google a device or something like that. The one that we think is really going to be impactful and we're actually making a lot of strides in this area. And again, we'll have some demos that we'll be putting out shortly is vibration because with vibration, you can do a lot of predictive maintenance and you can recognize a lot of different aspects of what's going on, even from a beneficial AI standpoint, when you think of, uh, prosthetics or something to that extent. If you could have the technology that's designed into the, to these devices that allow you to recognize um, feelings and movements and so on, that's real key. So we're having success in that area as well. We continue to build on the technology. Um, we launched our first chip from a commercial standpoint uh, at the end of the year and moving into the beginning of this year. We are selling development systems, both a PC shuttle and a Raspberry Pi development kit. These are plug and play development kits on our website. And we also launched um, a development board so you can get access to the board and start working with it in your environment as well. And then we've been licensing our technology as intellectual property to be designed into SOCs. And we've got a, a couple of licensees that we've been able to engage with from that end. So we're kind of spanning the the markets and um, with different models and having success across each one of them. All right, pause for a minute. <laughs> There's a lot to consume. Let me make sure that I understand it. And you may have answered to this in that last two minutes because what I was going to ask is, are you a processor? Are you a platform? Are you a processor and platform? Do you provide you know, development environment? Uh, let me pause there and let you answer that question. <laughs> Yeah, I said a lot, didn't I? Well, <laughs> okay, that's that. all right. We, we got it. This is a revolutionary. It's going to change a lot of the dynamics of how we do things. I get really fired up. When we, when that's we all right. Good. It. I like it. Basically, what we've done is we've developed a processor. And then we've taken that processor and we've put it into um, development environments to enable companies and users from, the, from very large organizations that are driving AI today all the way down to let's say the hobbyist that wants to just do things uh, for their own personal satisfaction to get access to our technology and start working with it. But at the end of the day, we expect and we envision that our processor is going to be designed into a lot of different technologies that are, that are we're going to be impacting us on a daily basis. Take that a bit further. If I'm a developer, I look at this, I said, look, I want to develop something for the edge. Let's say I want to do something with Raspberry Pi. That's a great example. I want to develop an AI or machine learning algorithm. And look, I've, I've got my Jupyter notebooks uh, I'm developing. And how do I make access to, to the hardware? I mean, wh where does the connection come in? I need to make sure I understand. Okay, I've got access to your technology. Now, what do I do? Well, Is how do right? I get access to begin with? I mean, so I, okay. I know you got the hardware, the APIs that you make externally available, and then I hook in from like a notebook. I mentioned our software development platform, MetaTF, 
and then you can oh, go okay. to brainship.com slash developer. You technically can do almost everything you need to do with our technology on MetaTF. So you do kind of provide yeah. an IDE then, a development environment on top it's of it. Absolutely. Oh, oh. Absolutely. But when it comes to AI, let's be clear. This is complex stuff. And it's we're at the front end of it, right? So whether you're talking about at the edge or you're talking about at the higher level in the cloud, having the environment as simple as possible for for people to gain access to it, start using it, feel comfortable with it. It's critical if you want to have success in the space. We've put all that in place. Makes sense. By the way, just going to back to my definition question, this is the way I look at it. Artificial intelligence is you know broader than machine learning. Machine learning is really a subset of AI that focuses on the ability of machines to receive a set of data, learn for themselves, change algorithms, et cetera. Neural networks then take those algorithms and model them after the human brain. So just like we can recognize patterns, you were talking about this, that, that help us uh, categorize, classify. They do the same for computers. We label and assign, categorize, et cetera. Then deep learning, now I had a question here because you mentioned deep learning, but deep learning then goes yet another level deeper, a subset of machine learning, if you will, or deep neural networks where you may not only have a single layer of data, but you have like a deep neural network has more layers. But didn't you make a specific comment earlier on that says we're not, we're doing it a different way? Yeah, we can support deep learning as well. You know, all of this, uh, it's, it's a broad statement for me to make, but, you know, all of this depends on the system that you have in place and how you process the information what type of CPU, host CPU you have in, in the environment and so on. The amount of data that goes into some of these networks and, and what's out there is mind-blowing. The yeah. one thing that we figured out is, okay, you know, when you're on the edge and, for example, you want to do something within an environment of an application, let's say either on the shop floor for an industrial application, do you need to process 2 million images to understand and recognize the difference between a beer bottle and a soda bottle? You don't need to use, you know, all the processing power that goes into some of these, the way that some of these applications are done. Again, with our chip Akita, you can process this information more efficiently. And the one thing that we didn't talk about that we do, and this is where I think I'm going to blow your mind, is that... Um, <laughs> We also do um, on-chip learning without having to go to the cloud, which means if you took my example of, hey, look, we're in an industrial shop floor, we're running a beer bottle and a soda bottle pick line, and we want to add in plastic bottles. We don't have to train or we don't have to develop a new uh, network to do that, which requires machine learning, which requires a lot of investment and time to make that happen. You can capture an image of a plastic bottle, and then that machine now recognizes, okay, here come the plastic bottles, and, and you move forward from there. I, this may not be the best way to say it. Is it like you have a local cache of uh, both information and models that are repetitive in nature by which will save you from going back to the cloud? Is that what you're trying to suggest? I don't know if I would describe it that way, but we do have some on-chip memory. The benefit of it is basically that, you, you know, it provides you with all this flexibility when you're working with devices. So, for example, we have a demo either on our website or on our YouTube channel that highlights the fact that we have 
individuals sitting in a car and we're able to recognize those individuals by face. So we would recognize that it's you or recognize that it's me. It also would recognize if you didn't want it to recognize by face for privacy purposes, it recognize that someone is in the car as from an always on standpoint. And then it could recognize you by voice as well. All of that's really key when we look at the future of technology for applications within the home, within the vehicle and for our everyday life. But isn't um, most of that in the algorithms themselves? When does it come and it really uses the processing power of the chip? That It doesn't. In this case, it doesn't need to be an algorithm. We're learning it on the device. Why is that important? When you go to buy um, you know, next generation electric vehicle, you don't want to have to go do all the training with, through the cloud or personalization through the cloud or personalization at the dealership. You want to personalize that vehicle or personalize that device within your home on a weekly basis, however you want to configure it. I show up at your house, I want to drive your really cool car. Okay, Rob, sit in the driver's seat. We're going to capture your voice. We're going to capture your face, move on with life. So does that mean just, I'm trying to figure out, like I'm a technical guy at heart, trying to figure out the kind of geeking out on this a bit, but does that mean that you've essentially taking algorithms around video and voice and a language like NLS, and you've embedded those algorithms into the chip, optimized the chip to behave, reduce, I guess, the footprint on the edge, and then make those available in like IDE that we talked about earlier for people to access, but it's already on the chip. Does that make sense? In other words, you've taken like, th- there'll be an LP, natural language processing, uh-huh, uh-huh. that you know, you'll have an AI algorithm or ML model and do you put that straight into the the chip for access and the chip is optimized such that hey nobody does it better than us on the edge or how would you say that we'll have a model or a, a network that we're based on but when we add in voice or we add in a new smell or we add in a new face you don't have to have the network behind it we could use like a standard mobile net version one or an image net Um, which will have a slew of pictures on animals, harmonicas, and cars, but doesn't have any pictures of beer bottles per se, or plastic bottles or wine bottles. Mm -hmm. And we'll go, but we'll use that baseline network. And then we'll go ahead and and capture these images. And moving forward, it would recognize those bottles. Who are your largest customers? I mean, who's using this stuff? The one thing that makes it uh, unique is that, and everyone wants to know, a majority of our relationships are still covered by uh, NDA and we don't really promote them or advocate them. We have had um, one major um, automotive manufacturer actually highlight at CES that they're using our technology and one of their vehicles um, uh, moving forward in regards to Self-driving uh, key, cars or? Key, uh, keyword spotting within the vehicle. As you call out the vehicle's name, it recognizes the voice. But what they're using it um, because of the fact that um, from a power consumption standpoint, it's they're seeing the benefits of 5 to 10x less power consumed um, using Akita to process that same voice recognition. And so what they've done is they've developed a concept vehicle. The goal was to achieve a thousand kilometers on a charge. So they've kind of put the stake in the sand and said, you know, someone go beat this. And 
they're striving to do more with the technology and they're learning it. And we're excited that they're um, going to be using the technology in this concept vehicle, proving it out and going from there. And then on top of that, you know, publicly we've, you know, announced that we're uh, licensed our IP to Renesis, who's actively using our technology and designing with it. And then also um, with a company out of Japan called Megachips and Megachips is basically um, an ASIC provider. So what they're doing is they have access to our technology and they're going to engage with uh, some of their customers. They're able to design our technology into that application. But in general, we've focused on four key target areas, one being the smart home. So you think of the devices in the home, the connected devices and how much device personalization and intelligence we want to provide into those um, smart coffee makers, refrigerators, and so on. Also smart healthcare. So we're going to see a lot of devices in the future need to recognize images, but do it in a, mo a mobility standpoint where they're not connected for power, but also be able to detect viruses like COVID and other aspects like that or cancer detection through breath markers and, and so on. And besides um, that, uh, smart health and smart home, um, we have uh, smart city, and this is where we get into the industrial applications, facial recognition, and, and so on. And then finally, smart transportation and the growth of the vehicle and the, the demand of compute and intelligence that goes into not just vehicles as we know it today, but vehicles of the future that we can only imagine will be in our lives 10 years from now. That's great. Thank you. You gave me all the use cases that, that I wanted. That, that's perfect. That makes me believe that most of your customers today are those that are manufacturing edge devices. But then you also talked about, hey, no, you can access via Raspberry Pi and take advantage of our and do some development on our uh, processor. Is it both? I'm going to say, yeah, it's both. I think the exciting thing is, look, if this was a boxing match and there's 10 rounds, we're like in round one to two. I mean, the growth and the the way this is going to move is is going to be massive. So we're looking at this right now and we recognize the, the there's two aspects of it. Number one is, okay, what types of edge devices are going to incorporate intelligence today and need AI today? And so we're very focused on supporting those efforts. We're very focused on making sure that those companies um, can leverage our technology. The second aspect is really the growth dynamic of it. It's the second, third, and fourth wave of companies that say, hey, we want to incorporate AI into our technology. It's going to open up new markets for us. It's going to differentiate who we are. It's going to enable us to compete in ways that we didn't think we could compete. What type of technology is out there? Hey, BrainChip. You've got some phenomenal technology. It's not really going to impact what we're doing today in regards to the momentum that we're on. Let's design it in. Let's build off of that and then leverage it from there. That's that second, third, and fourth wave that we're having those discussions with a lot of companies and really just waiting for that to just reap its benefits. To that point, if I decide, hey, BrainChip's who I want to go with, this is it. I mean, it's a massive, I mean, it's a major decision, is it not? Because then I got to take your chip and I'm saying, I'm taking your chip and I'm going to put it on my edge device. Yeah. Yeah. This, when it comes to architectural decisions, this is the key aspect in the, the whole dynamics of the growth of the technologies. 
How long is that sales cycle? Pretty long, huh? It's not a short sales cycle, that's for sure, Al. You know, again, it depends on the product. It depends on who we're engaging with. Um, uh, there's a lot of evangelizing going on. There's a lot of business development that needs to take place. It's a consultative sell because you are impacting the environment of, uh, in some cases, uh, systems that have been very uh, well accepted in the environment. In other scenarios, though, it's been a faster sales cycle because of the fact that we see companies that come to us saying, okay, we get it. We know what we need to do. We've actually uh, implemented some AI in the past. And and what you guys are doing is um, flat out um, uh, will put us in a better position than what else is whatever else is out there. Who's your biggest competitor? There are a lot of great companies that are designing and have developed um, you know applications and devices for to support AI in the future. I think that when you look at the the company that that's really had some success incorporating AI into active working products. It's the big guy that's developed GPUs and that's um, NVIDIA. But, you know, what they're doing doesn't support the edge devices of the future. And that's where, you know, we actually strongly believe two things. Number one, we don't see companies like that as a competitor. We actually see them as a partner where we can complement what they've started and what they're doing in our our technology can work side by side in those environments, or it can work independent in those environments. But there are a lot of young companies out there that are trying to, to address AI, either voice or vision. Um, not a lot of companies can do what we're doing in regards to support uh, multiple functions, and even less companies can attempt to do what we've already accomplished uh, in regards to on-chip learning, and then even less companies if any, can attempt to do it all in the low power uh, framework that we've, we've already established. We're pretty excited about the fact that we're there. We've done it. We've manufactured our first chip. It's proven. Um, and we're, you know, we have a roadmap uh, looking out towards the future for generation two, generation three, and a lot of different things we're going to add to that technology. So uh, we're excited. When was the first chip released? Um, our first chip was... Final production released um, the end of 2021, the beginning of 2022. You started in what, 2013? Is that what it was? 2013, yeah. So we've we've had uh, about a year and a half ago, we started engaging with early access partners, maybe almost two years ago. We got our first um, engineering samples back. And we didn't have to make any major changes before the production products. But, but as you know, we're in an environment where the timeframes and supply chain dynamics that are out there, especially in the semiconductor space, have been pretty impactful in regards to timing purposes. So again, we're <laughs> fortunate to be ahead of it and to have the work, the, the production parts and, and, and having the boards and having the systems. We're happy. So about you that. actually are one of the companies that has chips right now. Yes, we are. <laughs> so call me, yeah. email me. <laughs> To my understanding, that's why you can't get a car these days. If you're solving <laughs> that problem, you guys are going to do extremely well. <laughs> very good. Very good. So, but man, that's a long development cycle from 2013. Now you get your first one out. Makes sense now that you were hired on. They they bring good old Rob in to, to sell about a year and a half ago and, and start kicking things up, I presume. 
Yeah, that's exactly it. And, um, you know, the company uh, along that path, it was a journey. And um, like all young companies, you go through that process and you kind of narrow it down into where you're going to have a lot of success and go from there. So, um, again, it's the, the timing for us is ripe and we're excited. Um, and we, you know, having companies validate your technology is to me the greatest feeling in the world. Um, with the amount of passion and effort we put into what we do. So it's a good time for us. Very good. Hey, uh, can I ask a couple more questions about you specifically? Absolutely. You always been in uh, hardware sales? I've been really fortunate. So um, uh, my career has been both on the hardware side and on the software side. And so, again, as I mentioned before, I've had the, the opportunity to be part of uh, large organizations and, and young organizations and play wear a lot of different hats. And uh, at this point in my life, I'm just, I love the fact that I'm wearing a ton of hats right now. It's, you wake up every morning and every day brings a new adventure. <laughs> well, so I, I've been mostly on the software side, almost like 90, 95%, but I've done hardware and appliances, which we term appliance, the appliance business uh, for analytics uh, but I've not been in sales until first of this year. So uh, wow. I am, you know, let's put it this way. You're always in sales. Everybody's in sales. If I said that to our CEO, they, they'd say you're always in sales. And I am. Fair enough. But this, let's put it this way. First time I've been on incentive plan. So here's my question to you. Being a okay. sales guy, knowing sales, what's your philosophy? What advice can you give me? Someone once told me the best salespeople Shut up and listen. Most of the sales guys I talk to talk a lot, dude. <laughs> so I, I think the more you listen, the more you understand. And the other thing is always walk in someone else's shoes if you can. Uh, sometimes it's tough to do. But if you listen and you try to walk in someone else's shoes, you'll truly understand what they're trying to accomplish, the time frame they're trying to accomplish it in, and kind of go from there. Those would be the two things. And the last thing is, you know, you always hear uh, people talk about always be closing or, or stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, yeah, you got to have a little bit of that in you, right? You always got to be kind of narrowing down the conversation to determine where you're going. But that's one reason why I asked you about the, the sales cycle. I mean, this one's got to be a tough sale. I mean, not like it's a tough sale. Maybe it sells itself. Technology is great. But yeah, it's a major decision. I'm putting my chip into... Uh, my edge device, it isn't something I'm going to do in the short term. To your your point you just made, you know, what kind of, I mean, how do you continue to close in, in how do I want to say the close in the walls so you can get to that decision? What's the it, trick? It's, it's a process. You really need to understand where your customer's at. And you really need to understand um, it's okay if they're not ready. So that's part of building that relationship and knowing that when they are ready, they're going to do business with BrainChip. I presume the partnership starts before they they're even close to serious. I mean, it's Absolutely. like, and I Absolutely. presume, you know, you, you bring your network with you, uh, as you, as you, you know, I mean, they, they, they probably chose you because of the network that you hold. Yeah. Um, I've been around the block. So, um, IP sales is extremely unique and it is a process and, um, you know, uh, you gotta have every, every weapon in your arsenal, uh, in this business. And, um, for those that have been doing it, that, you know, 
they'll tell you their battle scars and their, their, you know, and from that end, but going into it, you need to, to, you know, eyes wide open. Here's what we're getting ourselves into. But yeah, I've been around the block. I got to believe that a guy that uh, graduated or took uh, Harvard Business School has a good leadership or a book that they highly recommend. Is there a book that you recommend? I'm a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. I think just, 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 uh, um, I can't remember the, the book that uh, outliers or yeah. Outliers outliers is the book. It's a great book. It's an, it's an easy read. And then uh, Clayton Christensen, who is one of the uh, professors at Harvard, he, he's no longer with us, but he spent a lot of time analyzing disruptive technology. And because of my history at ARM and my history now at BrainChip, focusing on disruptive technologies, great book. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, another one of the best sellers in business, but it kind of yeah. talks about the cycle. Innovator's Dilemma. Yeah, Innovator's there Dilemma. Go. There you go. Great book. That is a great book. He's got another book that's uh, just about... Uh, the Life You Were Meant to Live? Yeah, I think that's it yeah. too. Yeah, that's yeah. a good book too. That's that's when you get to, to our age, Al, and you, <laughs> you start to look back and say, prior to this, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're running harder, but The Life You Were Meant to Live, it's a good book uh, as well. Well, th- that one really captured me because he described really quick because we, we got to close up, but I like how he described, he goes, I went to school with all these really smart people. They're all good people. We all went to, I think he, went to, he was talking about Harvard, wasn't he? He went to Harvard too. I know he's a professor at Harvard. And he said, when we left, we were all, you know, right there together, very eager. The problem is some people got on the wrong path and started, their values got messed up. And then he had people that he graduated with. I think they were part of the Enron scandal and different stuff like this. Very interesting. And he's trying to talk about values, et cetera. So if anybody wants to read that, I thought it was a great read. And I didn't know that he, he passed away. Yeah, he did. I was did. just looking at that. Uh, um, I went online when you said that. 2020, January 20, 23rd. Yeah. Huh. That's too bad. I didn't no, know. He's very, very sharp man, and, and I'm, I'm really fortunate enough to have had a class with him and, and be able to have a conversation with him about really? disruptive technology. Yeah, Innovator's Dilemma, Life You're Meant to Live, and Outliers. Those would be books. And then a really simple book that a good friend gave me. It's called It's Out of My Boat, which means we only can control what's in in our boat. And anything outside of that, we can influence, but we can't control. And if you can't control it, you can't stress about it. That's what my dad always says. He always says, look, that's outside of your control. You can't worry about it, son. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, hard so, for me. it's hard for anybody, so it's good. Yeah. I'll look up that book as well. Yeah. And I gave that Outside of My Boat book to my mom, and the best thing that ever happened to me was when I gave it to her, she's like, thanks, I'll read it. And then one day, I didn't think she was ever going to read it. And then one day I was talking to her about an issue. And I said, well, what do you think we should do? She goes, ah, it's out, outside of my boat. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you read it. You read she the book. Too. Yeah, she used it against you, too. That's great. She did. She took her son's advice. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for being here, uh, Rob. I, I greatly appreciate it. Been a good conversation. We'll put some of the, the information you provided in the show notes. And make sure folks know how to uh, to head your way. You got it. I really appreciate your time. And uh, anytime you want to have a discussion, just let me know. Thank you so much. And listeners, you know what I'm going to say. Look, I'd love to hear from you. Al Martin talks data at gmail.com. 
Please rate us on any podcast that you're out there. It does make a difference. It helps us uh, progress this podcast. It also helps us uh, choose the content. So please reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Until then, next time I'll see you on the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Oh.